Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Why has Everton's 10-point deduction for breaching profit and sustainability rules been reduced to six points? How will the decision impact sides around them locked in a relegation battle? What might it say about Everton's upcoming second case? And what about outstanding charges for Nottingham Forest and of course the 115 for Manchester City? I'm Ayawa Kimulere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. With us today are The Athletics, David Ornstein, Matt Slater and Everton correspondent Patrick Boyland as well. Okay, let's talk about Everton. Uh, The verdict came in a huge document. David, let's start with you. Can you give us a bit of background to this and how the appeal board came to their decision? Yeah, the headline IO is that Everton had a 10-point deduction originally handed to them. That has been reduced by four points to six in total. So it sees them climb a couple of places in the table. And uh, Maroons, Luton, for example, uh, because they have seen the team that was just one point above them move five points above them. It's all about the background. Everton were charged in March of 2023 with a breach of the Premier League's profitability and sustainability rules. It was uh, a process that they were happy to cooperate with, but uh, an independent panel needs to be set up to hear these cases. That panel felt they could not uh, hear it in time for the end of last season, and there were no rules at that moment in time saying it had to be heard by the end of the season. So the panel was set up in October. They heard Everton's case. Everton did not deny that they were in breach of the rules. So clearly the uh, panel had to take that into consideration. It emerged afterwards that the panel ruled that Everton had lost around £360 million over the three-year accounting cycle. You are only allowed to lose a maximum of £105 million. There are a number of addbacks that are allowed, though, such as um, expenditure on stadium and other infrastructure, women's team, academy, and so on. The calculation that that brought Everton's uh, loss down to was £124.5 million, which the panel said is £19.5 million over the allowed limit. Everton argued that they were actually only £9.7 million over the limit, but they were over the limit. They gave a number of mitigations around this, such as the loss of sponsorship deals with Alicia Usmanov being sanctioned and and his company USM, who were a sponsor of Everton, extra costs around the um, construction of the Bramley Moor Dock Stadium, etc. Even the the loss of potential income for uh, a player who was unnamed, uh, who left the club. At the end of that, uh, Everton were handed the 10-point penalty. They were furious about this. They described it as being wholly disproportionate and unjust. A couple of months later, they decided and announced their decision to appeal against this. Uh, The appeal hearing was convened for late January, early February. A new three-person 
board. By this point, Everton had taken on a renowned lawyer uh, nicknamed Super Silk, Lawrence Rabinowitz, and he is said to have a good track record in these things. The hearing took place and we got the result, which we broke exclusively on The Athletic, that uh, Everton's punishment had been reduced. That was the only uh, thing that Everton were kind of protesting here, not the charge, but the scale of the sanction. They weren't allowed to present any new evidence. Um, They raised nine arguments. Seven of those were rejected by the appeal board. Two of them were upheld. One, that the original independent commission uh, had essentially deemed Everton to have acted in bad faith. Well, the appeal said that that was not something you were supposed to be adjudicating on. So that's irrelevant and there is no evidence that Everton acted in bad faith, but they did commit a breach. It it was just deemed as a fact. Secondly, no benchmarks were used by the original independent commission to formulate this 10-point deduction. There are precedents around English football, European football for profitability and sustainability breaches in the EFL and elsewhere on the continent. Or you could say Premier League's own punishment for going into administration is nine points. Yet this was the biggest sporting sanction ever handed down by the Premier League. It was deemed by many to be extremely harsh. There was a consensus that six points is fair. And the appeal board ruled that they felt that six points was minimum, but proportionate and appropriate. And that's likely to set a precedent now, you could say. But in the process of this, and we must point it out amid all of Everton's mitigations, that the appeal board ruled that Everton did benefit from a sporting advantage. And so that is likely to cause you know, more consternation among the clubs that may have suffered as a result of this breach and been relegated last season. So that's the first case done and dusted. It's over. That charge is gone. But there is still a second charge to follow. It means we're only at half time in Everton saga. And that's before we even begin to talk about other clubs. Matt, quickly, just want to bring you in here. There's a piece that's landed today by Patrick and, and various other journalists on The Athletic talking about Everton's point deductions. Can I just ask you how they came up with the six-point deduction? What's the mathematics behind it? Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting part of the ruling. So the Premier League got themselves in a bit of a mess first time round. And this has been the subject of much conversation, really, in terms of what Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters was actually doing in the first hearing. I think, to be fair, some of, some of, the, some of the criticism has been, has been over, over, the, over the top because he was making a submission, you know, as the Chief Executive of the Premier League, he was allowed to declare the league's position. Uh, and this happens in all the other football disciplinary hearings has happened umpteen times in the English Football League. The problem the Premier League has is these rules when they were set up, which is very much sort of post-Portsmouth, it's almost like no one ever really thought that clubs would fail them. This very, very generous threshold, so it's 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 39 million in the EFL, it's 105 million in the Premier League. It's almost like the sort of founding fathers, the people that wrote these rules, just didn't think people would breach them. You know, I think as people have started to realise that maybe people might breach them, uh, there's been some conversation around, okay, should we have a schedule? Should we have some proper benchmarking exercise here for what the punishment should be? 
And very late in the day, you know, after the Everton process had started, they did produce some guidelines, but just guidelines. They were not set in stone. So the disciplinary panels that adjudicate these uh, cases have always had incredible amounts of discretion. Basically, they can do what they like. They, they hear the case and they can set the punishment as they see fit. Now, again, people want to criticise and slam and personalise this. So, you know, Masters has become the bad guy. The Premier League board has become the bad guy. Fans should never, ever forget that the Premier League is a shareholder organisation. Masters is an employee. The board are um, set up by the shareholders. The shareholders are the 20 clubs in the Premier League at any one time, plus the FA. They're really the 20 clubs. That's, that's, those are the key people to think about here. So if the Premier League did not have a fixed schedule of punishments for financial fair play breaches, it's because the clubs themselves wanted it that way. They were quite happy to give these, whoever they might be, because they are independent and you never know who the people are until you you, you put together a panel, that these three preeminent jurists and cases and financial experts would have the discretion. They did not want to put down a schedule. I think for one reason is they were very worried that some clubs, if they wanted to cheat, would almost see it as the price of business, right? If they knew if I go 10 million, 20 million over, I lose this many points or I get a transfer embargo for this many years or I get a fine this big, great. I will just factor that in and I will take a punt. I will, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll roll the dice accordingly. So they wanted that level of discretion. So that's that's the background. That There, there is a reason why we have got to where we've got. There is always a reason. It wasn't just an accident. I would argue it was a mistake, though. And this is one of the key things that comes out from the appeal um, judgment. It was a mistake on the Premier League's part, i.e. all the clubs and the, and the board. They didn't argue their case clearly enough at the last shareholders meeting or the shareholders meeting where they addressed this, that the Premier League did not have a schedule. It should have had a schedule. It should have had a defined series of, of, of this is how we deal with you. If you are this much over, this is what you're looking at. If you're that much over, this is what you're looking at. Because the EFL have. The EFL have had one since 2018. So to answer your question, the appeal board agreed with Everton that the punishment was disproportionate. And I think David's point is absolutely clear. How really could this be more serious than administration? Because you do have a set tariff an automatic set tariff for going into administration for an insolvency event, which is probably about the most serious thing that can happen to a club. And that, if that's nine points, how can this be 10 points? How can this be more serious than that? If you, you know, got on the Clapham omnibus, you spoke to you know, rational people walking in and out of football grounds, does this feel more or less serious than administration? Less serious, right, brilliant. So it should definitely be less than nine, right? So there's your starting point. Then they started to look at what the EFL does. Now, the EFL schedule is quite interesting. They go on the on the on the basis that if you are over our level, if you are over, if you have breached, it is 12 points. But then we then we work back from that. So we will take a point off 12 for every, it works out that their, their limit is, is 39. So if you're 15 over, anything more than 15 is egregious. And if you think their, their upper threshold is 39, if you are 15 over that, you know, you're almost sort of 50% over that. That is, you know, you've blown it by miles and you, we're not getting any mitigation. That is, that's aggravating factors. So if you're 15 over our 39, that's 12. But we will then take off basically a point for every two you get closer to 
39 if you know what I mean, if, if you see what I mean so you start knocking off points to get to more like six just for a regular breach or three for a really small breach just for two or three million over and whilst the numbers are different so like I said 39 in the EFL 105 in the Premier League the percentages actually work out so Everton were basically 20 20 over 19 and a half over that almost works out at if you'd applied the same principles that the EFL use, that's where you get to six. One other really big thing to mention here, both the EFL and the Premier League will consider other aggravating factors. And actually, we actually got it properly spelled out in this appeal board uh, ruling that the Premier League, back at the original case, wanted 12 points. They wanted 10, 10 if you like, for the numbers, but they actually argued for two aggravating factors, so a point for each aggravating factor. And one was this, this sort of principle of being less than frank and sort of misleading the Premier League on how Everton were going to deal with uh, interest related to the, to the stadium build. And, and, and another one was just, on, I think, on the, on the amount, on the, on the sort of size of the, of the breach. The appeal board just ignored that and said, no, we, we don't consider those to be aggravating factors. So that's where you just get to, it's six, right? It, it's six on the amount of the breach, and we are using the EFL schedule, which is the best available one we've got. You haven't got one, but there is one over there in the in a league that you have you know you have admitted your rule books are aligned. Clubs come up and down, even even when you you know. So the Nottingham Forest case is really interesting because two of the years that they are being measured on are actually EFL years, which is why their number is less than one hundred five. So so you can see where the appeal board is is getting it from. Well, because you haven't got this this we think quite important and useful piece of you know, legislation, or legislation's the wrong word, but in something in your rule book, there's this other body that you're very closely related to, that your clubs are very closely related to, that does. So we're going to use theirs. Paddy, let's bring you in. A small win for Everton because they're not fully out the woods yet. But, you know, what, what are the clubs saying? What are the fans saying? Yeah, I think the club feel vindicated over the appeal and their right to make an appeal. Obviously, the two key strands when you look at the original statement after the 10-point deduction with the idea that this was disproportionate and that's obviously been proven correct and the other element was that they they felt that there wasn't enough evidence given by the initial commission to so people could understand how we got this far down the line how we got to 10 points there's no working out as such so they will feel vindicated in that regard. The sense that I get is that they, they do see this as, as as a small win, as you've described it in, in kind of scoreline terms. It's a 1-0 victory rather than the 3 or 4-0 win. Once you set the bar so high at 10 points, I think it's going to take an awful lot to get down below kind of 5-4 and, and more or less impossible to, to, to wipe this out entirely. Some of the key points here, I think, are that the... Commission this new panel, and it was a new panel, they basically decided that six points is the minimum for a PSR breach, and that Everton's initial argument that this shouldn't be a points deduction at all didn't really pass water with them because they felt that any breach inferred a sporting advantage. The tricky thing with all of this is that, as Matt has mentioned, so little provision in the Premier League rule book. And the commissions themselves are given so much in the way of discretion that it's hard to follow any coherent logic from one case to the next. When Nottingham Forest's case is heard later this month and when Everton's case is heard next month for 22-23, 
we're going to end up with different panels again. And because of the level of discretion, they might actually decide that they place more weight on some of Everton's mitigating factors, that they don't agree with the EFL precedent and the, 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 the close alignment between those two things. All of this is up in the air and all of it is a problem, I think, of the league's making, along with the 20-member the clubs. But certainly there's a feeling that this is this is success for Everton. Up to 15th in the table, five clear of relegation. Symbolically, that seems to matter quite a lot for this club. It's been interesting in recent weeks when we've heard from Sean Dyche. He's never really before now wanted to place lots of weight on the mental strain of, of a points deduction and what this uncertainty means for his players. But in the last few weeks, maybe as a self-defence mechanism, has started to concede that this may have been inadvertently affecting his players, that it might have been in the back of his players' minds. I think the players have been working very hard, very diligently, very pleased with what they're doing you know, on a daily basis and the game profiles when we, when we get it right. A few times we haven't. So I don't, I don't think it is in, in a literal way of every day's business, but I'm sure at the back of their minds, they're still wondering, you know, come on then, you know, when, when are you going to tell us where we're at? So the clubs needed a boost. Described to me by somebody as that it was like the club was in purgatory when we look at the decisions that need to come on a whole range of issues, including the takeover. And I think that uncertainty is probably no good for anyone. It's not good for club employees. It's not good for fans. I would argue it's not good for rival clubs like Luton Town and... Burnley, Sheffield United, Brentford. I saw Christian Norgard talking earlier on Sky Sports after after Brentford's game last night. Somewhere someone is sitting with a calculator and uh, putting in points, taking away points. And I don't know, it's people's job, people's life they're messing with. But I mean, I mean, it's not, I don't know what's going on, to be fair. We have to focus on us, not on Everton. It affects people's lives because because if a club gets relegated, it has severe implications, as we as we all know. So it's been a messy process. I think we've probably got where we should have been after the first commission. Six points sounds a lot better than ten, and it obviously needed to come down be below administration insolvency. But there are inevitable follow-up questions here as to what this means for for Everton and, and Forest in the next hearings. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to the small win for Everton because 15 definitely feels much better, even though the points aren't that far apart than, than, than 18th. Uh, but David, you know, how, how would this impact, you know, the, the relegation battle in, in general? Um, it's going to be really fascinating because we've still got another hearing still to come at, at the end of the season as well. Yeah, that's the big issue in this is that it's not over by any means. Uh, We're only partway through the process, which just kind of underlines the mess that we're in. Football, largely in the Premier League now, seems like it's being decided in lawyers' chambers and courtrooms rather than on the field of play. The second charge for Everton and the first for Nottingham Forest are now going to be held. They need to be wrapped up by sort of mid-April, But it's conceivable that if appeals are lodged and heard, that we won't get an absolute final conclusion until the 24th of May, which is what the Premier League has described as a backstop. It's five days after the end of the Premier League season. Uh, It's in time for the annual general meeting at which places are allocated for the subsequent season. And therefore, we could see the likes of Everton and Burnley playing on the final day without knowing if they're going to be in the Premier League next season or not. And that feels pretty farcical. I do just want to touch upon one point in in all of this um, that we haven't mentioned yet. And I've seen Everton fans articulating it. Of course, there's anger at the Premier League. Of course, there was a an uprising among fans and local politicians and, and others. And, and that will bring what Everton describe as a bit of satisfaction in the news. But there's also a lot of anger towards the regime at Everton in terms of Fahad Mashiri, who I think eight years ago today completed his 49.9% investment in the club. It appears he had the right intentions in terms of wanting to grow the club to compete with the big boys and in European football, he spent extremely heavily. Yes, there was the new stadium, which we all hope will be fantastic, not only for the club, but for the local area and the country too. But the commissions detail how Everton were warned about their excess spending and at times they ignored these warnings and continued to spend. Now, the more recent trend has been to spend a lot less. They've really bought their house in order impressively, but it still might not be enough to see them escape second time round. And so Everton fans uh, are continuing to it express their frustration at at the process and the Premier League. But there is also a realism in this. And that's why they were only appealing against the scale of the sanction as opposed to the breach itself, because the club, to a large extent, has been financially mismanaged over a considerable period of time. And everyone will hope that that improves going forward. And the final point in reference to what you said about other clubs is whether we like it or not, some of them will feel this is too lenient. And I saw some comments below our story from rival fans saying six points is no deterrent for clubs um, breaching these rules. It should be a draconian punishment to make sure every club keeps their houses in order like the majority have done. And so while there will be a little bit of muted celebration at Goodison Park and among the fan base, uh, there will be frustration and fear at other clubs as well. And that's why we haven't heard the last of this. 
I think David makes a, a really good point with regards to how people come out of this and how they look as a result of this. I would argue that no one party, neither the Premier League nor Everton, nor the original commission, look good as a result of this new verdict. One of the really interesting bits for me, as somebody who covers Everton day in, day out, from the report that we got on Monday, was the level of detail the commission went into with regards to Mashiri's project, if you want to call it that, at Everton. And I'd suggest that when you read it in full, you come to the conclusion that this amounts to this breach and what's happened on the pitch since amounts to the complete disintegration and the complete failure of Mashiri's project at large. Everything that he gambled on, the idea of spending big early doors to get up the table, increase revenues through merit money, get into Europe, and then again, continue that vicious cycle of, 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 of kind of increased revenues, that did not pay off. And in actual fact, what we're saying here is that Everton had an inferred sporting advantage from a PSR breach, but have ended up in a much worse sporting situation because of how badly they spent that money. So that they have completely wasted any sporting advantage they had and actually have gone backwards as a result of that spending. So that, that, that to me shows, with Mashiri seemingly on the way out, just how catastrophically wrong he got it. They're one party. I think the other thing here is that the Premier League let the cat out of the bag. David uses the word farcical to describe that back end of, of the 24th of May. We simply cannot have a case, a situation, where a hearing after the end of the season is deciding who is being relegated. When we get to that stage, we devalue the sporting competition more or less entirely. And how far back do we want to go with this? Because Everton had 10 points taken off earlier this season and were plunged into a relegation battle. We've spoken about psychological, the psychological difficulties of that. What impact has that had on them? What impact has that had on other, other clubs? We were speaking off air, Io, about the idea of a good point. And nobody knows whether a draw away at Brighton, even when you concede in the 95th minute, is actually a decent result anymore. And if you want to go further back to January, if clubs had known about Everton's points reduction, would they have gone about the January window in a different way? It opens up a whole host of questions. And to me, we end up getting to the point where, because of the way this is being handled, the integrity of the, of the competition is starting to be devalued if it hasn't already. This ruling is, is clearly good news for Everton. They've got four points back. They are very pleased with the part of the ruling that talks about that bad faith element. The actual phrase that the independent commission, the first one, used was less than frank. And and, and I think it's, there's a really interesting section on that. And, and the appeal board clearly didn't like that. And Rabinovitz played that element really, really well. There were these nine grounds for appeal, but the, as the as the ruling reveals, he actually hammered home two, really, in particular. You know, they lost seven, and they lost seven pretty, you know, hands down. If you actually sort of, you know, if you read the, the ruling, read between the lines, it, this was three other people going, no, 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 right? But the the two he went on, which I think were, were Everton's strongest grounds for appeal, were this, this element in the first ruling around less than frank bad faith. And that clearly embarrassed Everton, right? So that's why it was important to them. And that's it. that comes across in their statement. And it was interesting from a sort of point of law in that the Premier League didn't really even press that the first time round. 
they didn't really push that as an aggravating factor. So that was the kind of mistake that the independent commission made. So we've got to be very careful here, and even our language, because we are feeding, I think, sometimes some false narratives on the part of Everton fans who are understandably upset, right? The criticism there is of the independent commission, not of the Premier League. The independent commission got that bit wrong. And you can read, it's quite funny when you read a lot of these rulings, how one lawyer is rude about another set of lawyers, right? The, the, the diplomatic language they use. And they clearly didn't like that phrase, less than frank. They pointed out that it's actually not a legal term. What does it mean? It's way too subjective. And it wasn't, as I said, a, a big argument the Premier League made first time around. But but it but it, it makes sense to us, doesn't it? We know what they were meaning, that, that Everton intentionally misled, they were obfuscating, they were being a bit devious. The Premier League didn't actually make that argument. But, but what comes across in the ruling, and this is where we shouldn't go too far the other way, like Everton's way, is that, hold on a minute, so if we actually sort of go read all of it, it's got nothing to do with the stadium build, I'm afraid. I'm sorry, those costs were capitalised. And then in August 2021, there was written about in the first ruling that Everton fans and, and Everton uh, you know, supporters, but people who were kind of you know talking on behalf of Everton fans, just, just forgot, just ignored this part of the ruling. One, your, your costs are capitalised, so they're taken out of profit and loss. They are not considered for FFP purposes. But then there was a further conversation, a further debate between club and league, and there was a settlement made in August 2021, really important this, really, really important this, where Everton said, oh, you know, we, we had more costs, true, in the pre-planning phase, because it was a complicated bill, complicated site. We all know this, right? And they asked the Premier League, can we basically write off another 39 million? The Premier League said yes. You know, post factum, you know, afterwards, you know, just said, yeah, all right, okay, we'll we'll, we'll let you write off another thirty nine. We we will not look at that for FFP purposes. And then the other side of the deal was you have to open your books, and this is this, this is the whole conversation that Everton fans often talk about. Well, we opened our books. Um, they basically have worked to a, a salary cap for those for those key years, and the league and Everton had to basically ask almost permission or certainly kind of run it past the league if they were going to spend more than £5 million on a player. This is where we get this whole conversation around, um, but you knew exactly what we were doing. True, it is true, but it was the it was the, because of a deal, a deal where the Premier League, once it did them a favour, but certainly looked at it generously, looked at the stadium build costs generously. So this, this is absolutely crucial. The idea that Everton had been punished for building the stadium is just not true. They were punished for overspending on players. And that comes across now in two long judgments. That's two different panels have looked at the same set of facts and have come to the same conclusion. So I think that's really, really important. Everton also asked for a mitigating factor, this idea of trend, i.e. direction of travel was good, right? Look at, we brought our costs down. That's tr- that is true, but the way FFP works is backwards looking. You look at three years. It's actually four because of because of COVID and they, they average the two seasons out. But just to keep in your heads that it's three. Everton were already in breach after year one and two of the three-year cycle. They were at £111 million breach, right? So going into year three, the Premier League like, guys, you're, you're over. You know you're over already, don't you? So you, you actually have to make a profit in year three. They gave them two warnings in that year as Everton did not do things that the Premier League thought they should do. So this idea of trend, I think, is really interesting. They also come to the conclusion that for FF breach, FF, FFP breaches, the appropriate sanction is points. 
It is not transfer embargoes. It's not fines. It has to be points for this to be meaningful and for the integrity of the competition and effectively rewards the wrong word, but to, well, I suppose let's use reward. All those other clubs that don't breach the rules, they have to be protected, right? Let's worry about them and their fans. There are some hard messages in here for Everton. And for Forrest, I think, coming you know, coming up next. If you read it again, I had to read it a couple of times and I'm like, okay, I can definitely if I was Everton, I'd be I would be happy and I would definitely make the point that, you know, we, we feel vindicated and going for the appeal. Of course, of course you should go for the appeal. And this is a much more appropriate, a much more appropriate and fairer sanction. But you have not been exonerated. David, that word trends um Matt uses I think is very pivotal here in terms of how the Premier League are looking to go about their business and especially as is mentioned around Forest and I mean Manchester City's 115 charges what do you see those trends looking like especially for those teams in question yeah Nottingham Forest have taken a very different approach sort of subtle not very public uh, since the charge was announced uh, they've hired Nick DeMarco KC also a prominent lawyer in his own right and the reports that this case is going to be heard next week because they spent two of the three uh, seasons within that three year cycle uh, in the championship their permitted losses are lower when they came up to the Premier League they spent very heavily on player transfers Now, they received an offer or two from clubs for Brennan Johnson before the accounting cutoff period. I don't know, £30 million or something in that region. If they had sold him for that, maybe they would have complied, maybe not. But they knew that his market value was higher. And so they waited until the end of the transfer window um, and they managed to get £47.5 million from Tottenham for him, uh, which they will argue as a strong mitigation shows that they were maximising profit. Uh, However, that fell outside of the accounting period. So that will be a cornerstone of their argument. Clearly, they're in a a difficult position themselves and a points deduction is certainly plausible, but we shouldn't prejudge that. That and the case of Everton, number one and number two, are deemed as simple breaches. The Manchester City case is viewed as being complex. They were charged in February of 2023 with 115 alleged breaches of Premier League profitability and sustainability rules. They deny them all. They claim to have irrefutable evidence that will clear their name. They, of course, faced a a punishment from UEFA for financial fair play breaches previously. That was overturned uh, by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, partly on the basis of a time bar. Some of the allegations uh, were limited uh, in terms of how far back you could analyse these things. The Premier League doesn't have a time bar, and so that will obviously be very interesting. Richard Masters, Premier League Chief Executive, has said that uh, a date has been penciled in. We don't know what it is, but there is an anticipation across football that it will be this year, 2024. However, there could be then appeals afterwards that take it into 2025. I think for the good of everybody and the the view of uh, the competition we'd like to see this dealt with sooner rather than later it's going to be an almighty uh, legal battle clearly um Manchester City won I think six Premier League titles a few league cups a couple of FA cups and community shields in that period from 2009 to 2018 it's more historic it's um a longer term uh, 
alleged period. And and the nature of it is different because they're accused of artificially inflating sponsorships to help their financial fair play compliance. Very different to Forrest and Everton. My final point is Chelsea. They are under investigation um, because the new regime self-reported financial irregularities that they found in relation to the previous regime. We don't have the details of that. They have not been charged yet, but it is another issue on the horizon. And going forward, slightly different to that is that so many of these clubs, as we seem to talk about every week, are really conscious now of the teeth that these rules have because of everything we've described. And so they're trying to cut their cloth accordingly and balance the books. And that's why you're seeing partly why you're seeing very little spend in the January transfer window. You're seeing this trend, which you can argue it in an individual podcast about whether clubs should be having to sell their homegrown talent to maximise profit. Is that right? Um, And so this is arguably or definitely one of the biggest subjects uh, in the Premier League going forward. David, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, so much still to dig into as well. Nice one. See you soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's finish this off on the takeover. Paddy, you know, 777. Um, they're looking to take over Everton. I mean, what does this mean for, for that potential takeover? I don't think if we're referring to the PSR appeal, I don't think it matters a great deal. As we've reported previously, 777 would stand to pay less money to Farhad Mashiri if Everton were relegated. There's a load of performance-related clauses in that potential takeover deal. I don't think it changes things dramatically with regards to their approval. The more pertinent issue for me is that we are still awaiting approval. They agreed the deal with Mashiri in the middle of September, and at the time, of the announcement, we were given a guideline of around 12 weeks for, for, for the deal to be completed. 
Everton in their own statement said that they expected completion before the end of 2023. So obviously now in February, we're a lot further down the line than 12 weeks. I actually make it 24 now. So it's 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 doubled. And, and we're still, as far as I understand it, not that much further down the line. That They've had approval from the Financial Conduct Authority, I think a sent from the, the Football Association, one of the other relevant bodies, is considered more of a formality. The big one is the Premier League's owners and our directors test. And one of the things the Premier League has done in recent weeks is write to triple seven again, asking for clarity on certain points with regards to the takeover. They're effectively assessing whether triple seven have the funds for the takeover, whether they've got the funds for the club at large beyond the takeover and a three-year business plan. But I think it's safe to say that they've not had all the answers they want right now. And I think that's the more pertinent thing here. It's, it's not about PSR and it's not about what it means for five Mashiri. For me, it's about the, the future of the club and whether the 777 are the right incumbents. And that's still up in the air from a Premier League perspective. I completely agree with Paddy uh, on, on where we're at with the 777 uh, takeover. Just the Premier League's questions have not been answered. They are perfectly legitimate questions. If I was an Everton fan, I would absolutely want the regulator you know, for want of a better word, you know, the league, the competition organiser to be asking these questions. Yes, the clock is ticking. Uh, No, this is not a wonderful situation to be in, but this is where Everton is at right now in its history. And uh, there is, there is, you know, a a perfectly legitimate um, reason that this takeover hasn't been approved yet. You know, it's, it's classic frying pan fire type scenario. And if the Premier League get this wrong, and in two, three years, this goes, you know, blows up. What will people be saying about them then? So it's a real dilemma for the league. It's a real dilemma for the club. It's awful for the fans, but it's what it is. Well, gents, honestly, thank you so much for your time. Uh, David, Matt and Paddy as well. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and we'll be back with another episode tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening. The Athletic.